0: This is Perspectives, a show where an examination of how many differences often show us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and on today's program, we're going to talk about a very sensitive subject that I hope by the end of our time will be more comfortable having these types of conversations with your friends, members of family. An estimated 40 million American adults suffer from some type of anxiety disorder in any given year, and women are especially vulnerable. 40% of women will have an anxiety disorder at some point in her life, and the rates are increasing for young people. 17% of college students were diagnosed with or treated for anxiety in the past year. That's up 10% from 2008. Now, among those whose lives have been turned upside down by anxiety is Andrea Peterson. She is a highly regarded writer for the Wall Street Journal and her book is on edge, a journey through anxiety. In it, she harnesses her personal experience and expertise as a health reporter to explore the biological mechanisms of anxiety and the groundbreaking research that might point the way to new treatments. And we say, Andrea Peterson, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's now, great for to be so here.
0: thank you. Now, for someone who suffers from an anxiety disorder, I must say it is greatly brave of you to write about it in a book for other people to read, and then to come and spend some time with us and actually talk about it?
1: It was uh, a little nerve-wracking. It, it took me several years to sort of get up the nerve to to do it, but I there was so much interesting research going on that I felt like this was a great journalistic story too, not just my own personal story. And also, I really wanted to help provide insight and understanding to so many people that suffer from anxiety and also to, to explain it to those who don't. And it can be a, a bit baffling um, to people who don't deal with serious anxiety. So I wanted to also um, you know, provide them some some information and insight as well.
0: And you were invited to come to Atlanta to participate. You're speaking, actually, at the Carter Center. Tell us about that.
1: That's right. Um, the Carter Center is having me tonight. Uh, uh, Mrs. Carter will be there as well. I'll be in conversation with um, Rebecca and Shim szymkitz who uh, runs the uh, Mental Health Journalism Fellowship. And I was a fellow, actually, about 10 years ago. And that was actually the, the meeting, the first fellowship meeting there uh, at the Carter Center was where I first publicly talked about my anxiety in a professional setting. So it was a, it was a big moment and their support has been really important for for this book.
0: Your story is is quite harrowing and you've been dealing with this for quite some time. What can you share with us about your journey and your discovery, your diagnosis and how you
1: are now? So uh, anxiety became a real occupying force in my life when I was in college. I was a sophomore at the University of Michigan, and there's actually a a pivotal moment that I can actually point to when it became a serious problem. I was registering for classes, it was a normal day, and I felt fine. And then a moment later, I didn't. My heart rate kicked up, I started to feel short of breath. I had strange visual changes. These gray blotches sort of appeared before my eyes. And I became gripped with this overwhelming terror that I was about to die. You know, now I know that that was a panic attack. But at the time, I had no idea what it was. I thought something in my brain or body had just gone irrevocably wrong. And what happened is a panic attack usually peaks within about 10 minutes and then abates. But in that episode started about a month-long period of when It felt almost like a continuous panic attack, just filled with these very intense physical sensations and this overwhelming fear. And it launched me on this medical odyssey. Uh, I went to a doctor who did a couple of blood tests and said I was fine. And I ended up seeing about a dozen doctors actually over the next year and trying to get a diagnosis. And it wasn't until about a year later that I finally ended up in a psychiatrist's office who said, I can put you on Prozac, you know, the antidepressant, or I can send you to the anxiety disorders clinic at the local hospital. And that was the first time anyone had mentioned the word anxiety disorder. And it's not atypical, actually, for people to, to, um, for it to take a very long time to actually get a diagnosis and, and to start treatment.
0: So what does it mean, as the doctors explained it to you, to have an anxiety disorder?
1: Well, anxiety is a normal human emotion. We all experience it, and in certain amounts, it's actually a good thing. It can be very motivating. It can make us motivate, you know, motivate us to study for tests or prepare for retirement. But when it becomes a disorder is when it becomes impairing to a person's life, when it basically prevents you from doing the things you want to do when you want to do them. And that is when um, it it needs to be treated.
0: Are there different ways that it has manifested itself in your life, the anxiety over time, what sort of things did you experience besides the one moment that you've described for us when you knew something wasn't right?
1: Right. Well, I have struggled with panic attacks, you know, which are these sort of very intense periods of strange physical sensations and and overwhelming dread and fear. Uh, I also have a, what is generalized anxiety disorder, which is much more. It's characterized by worry, you know, just sort of an unrelenting worry about, and it can bounce from anything. It can it can bounce from Oh, I have a pain in my side. You know, maybe that's something terrible. Illness to worrying about finances, to worrying about you know if my husband is quiet. I think he's mad at me. No, not that that he is tired. You know, granted, sometimes he is mad at me. But so it can it, it just is is this, is this worry that kind of blocks out other. It, it can prevent you from thinking about other things. Um, some people struggle with social anxiety where they're. Uh, have a great difficulty in in meeting new people or being at parties. Um, post-traumatic stress disorder happens after after a trauma. So it, anxiety comes in a lot of flavors, but many people have more than one diagnosis and also travels with depression very often. So, um, so it, it can manifest itself in a lot of different ways.
0: Now, I've read and I've heard that some people who have an anxiety disorder are often diagnosed with depression, but the two don't necessarily go hand in hand, do they?
1: They often do. They often do. And oftentimes, actually, anxiety, research is showing that anxiety often happens before depression and that anxiety can be, is being thought more of as a gateway disorder, as something that um, leads to, can lead to depression, can lead to substance abuse, can lead to even suicide. So there's this real uh, great interest in focusing on and treating anxiety, particularly in kids, too, because it can really, Sort of derail lives, and if you get, but if but if you if you get it, catch it early, um, you know there, there are treatments that are that are quite quite successful, and it can prevent a lot of these more serious things from happening later on.
0: So, how have you treated? How have you been treated? How have you treated your, your anxiety?
1: So, I the two things when when my anxiety is sort of at a fever pitch, um, I go to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the most evidence based non drug treatment for anxiety disorders, and it basically the, its main component is exposure. And basically what that means is that you gradually and systematically expose yourself to the very things that you're afraid of. So for me, I was I got um, was very concerned about these physical sensations that I was having with panic attacks. And so um, I whenever my heart rate kicked up, I would get really, really anxious. So my therapist actually had me run up a flight of stairs. And welcome that feeling, and then you know, two, sta- two flights of stairs, and so, um, and what, what basically what that does, exposing yourself to something that you fear, it it provides you evidence that whatever this catastrophic thoughts that you have doesn't won't happen, and so the, and so kind of that that can chip away at the at the at the fear.
0: So you you described you had that one moment when you knew something wasn't right. You eventually ended up in the office of a psychiatrist who then said, we can do this or can do that. And you chose to do what?
1: I chose to do the cognitive behavioral therapy at the time. You did not want to do the medication? Not at the time. I was actually honestly too afraid to do medication at the time. I felt so physically vulnerable that I thought that monkeying with my neurotransmitters would just... It just was too frightening to me at the moment. But I did go on medication finally when I was in my late twenties, because at that point, you know, I had a job that I loved at the Wall Street Journal. I had a, I was in a new relationship, and I had a relapse, and I wanted to basically nip it in the bud, you know, very very quickly. And so at that point, I did uh, go on an SSRI. I went on a Paxil at the time, but. But antidepressants like Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft are also um, there's at least there's you know, there's a, there's a body of evidence that shows that they're at least modestly effective at treating anxiety symptoms. So that is sort of the other major major treatment that um, you know is often used for anxiety disorders. But when my my anxiety isn't at that you know peak level, there are a lot of other things that I that I do. Um, there's actually a growing body of research showing that mindfulness techniques, meditation yoga, things like that, are also quite effective at um, handling anxiety symptoms. And I find, actually, a daily yoga practice is really, really helpful for me.
0: As someone who has experienced anxiety disorder and is living with anxiety disorder, and as a journalist, you you have questions, you do research, you wanted answers, and then you put it all in this reasonably thick book. Yes. Very vulnerable. Were you ever worried about putting pen to paper fingers to keyboard, doing the book, having your friends, having your family read the book, and then, as I might would do, worry about, well, now what are they going to think about me after all of this?
1: Oh, definitely. (laughs) That was something that I did. Which is, I guess, kind of normal. Right, right. It definitely took me a while to come to terms with that. And I also was concerned about how this might affect affect me professionally, um, because only actually one out of four people who have an anxiety disorder have actually told their employer about it. There still is stigma out there, particularly, I think, in the workplace and you know the difference some people think people feel a little bit differently perhaps, about my mental health issue than maybe a physical issue so i was worried about that not not that i thought my coworkers would um, would punish me in any way for it but that more that, that they'd be concerned about me and out of sort of care and concern worry about my workload or think, oh, maybe we should you know lighten it a little bit or or try to protect me in some way. So so that was something I did struggle with in, in in terms of writing the book.
0: Did any of that happen?
1: Not that I know of. no. People were incredibly supportive. And what the thing is because it's such a common problem, it seems like you know if you don't struggle with serious anxiety yourself, you're going to know someone who does. So it's so I, I actually, you know many many people came and and started talking to me about their own anxiety issues and that that was great
0: if it is such a common problem and so many people suffer from some form of it why is everyone still so hesitant to talk about it
1: i just think there is there still is this lingering stigma about having a mental health issue you know the, this idea that it's 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 a moral failing or a more or a, a sort of character flaw as opposed to an illness, um, and so that's something that I'm trying to combat also with this book, that it's not a moral failing. It's an illness like any other illness. This one just happens to affect the brain. But I do think that actually that that is changing a bit. i I'm really I do I write a lot about um, mental health on college campuses, And I'm very heartened by the what I see on college campuses. There really seems to be there's you know, advocacy work, um, student mental health advocates that are incredibly open. And brave about talking about their mental health issues um, and, and supporting their fellow students. So I, so I think that this is going to this is changing slowly. So
0: the millennials and the next generation really are going to make us a, a better society. I think so. Not so hard on everybody. Right. So in your research, you found a plethora of ways that mental illness and anxiety were treated and then later not treated. Share with us some of those somewhat alarming discoveries in some cases.
1: Well, I mean, there's a long history of of uh, I mean, anxiety has sort of been with us for for forever, and you know, even the classical Greeks were writing about writing about anxiety, and you know, there were there were uh, it was it was thought to arise from many different you know, we we've come a long way from things like bloodletting and and uh, um, you know, the, the notion of sort of hysterical women, which was something that uh, a lot of women were sort of um, pegged with to you know early treat early medications like barbiturates which, which were quite quite dangerous so um, you know the, the, the anxiety sort of field has come a long way but the interesting thing is actually that you know the two major treatments that we we use cognitive behavioral therapy and um, you know SSRI medication have actually been around for about 50 years so um, but but in the last several years with neuroimaging and genetics we're Actually, getting to the point where we're we're start, we're going to start to see some new treatments, and that's really exciting. You know, things like that are actually targeting the underlying neurobiology of anxiety. You know, anxious or or the cognitive processes. Like anxious people have an attention bias to threat. We actually see more peril in the world. So if I'm when I'm doing my talk tonight at the Carter Center, I'm I'm as an anxious person, I'm probably more likely to notice the person who's frowning or who looks like they're not paying attention than I am all the other people who are smiling or looking engaged. And so there's actually these um, computer tasks that are it's a c- computer game that teaches anxious people to attend to non-threatening stimuli in their environment, to basically combat that sort of attention bias. So that's one just one of the many. What
0: is that computer game called?
1: Um, there's many different oh, okay. iterations of it. Um, there's not... I think there's an app. So, so like everything else, there's an app for that? There is an app for that. Yes, yes. I've actually played with one, Personal Zen, I think it's called, on my phone and, um, you know, just to, to to test it out. And so people are also thinking that maybe, you know, things like that might be used alongside other other treatments as well. But there's also, um, you know, fMRI neurofeedback, which is a really kind of wild treatment where you're actually in an fMRI scanner getting your brain scanned and seeing sort of a visual representation of your brain activity. And you're told to sort of dampen the activity of, of one area and, and heighten the activity of another, things that are implicated sort of in anxiety. And you can sort of see that in real time. And so people are, are also, you know, neuroscientists are, are busy uh, just, you know, uh, delving into that as well.
0: Andrea, it sounds as if all of your research and your study coupled with medication and therapy have really put you on the other side of knowing how to live with and deal with anxiety disorder successfully.
1: That's right. I feel like you know, I don't expect to be cured. I but I do I have figured out how to manage it. So I know that when my anxiety soars, you know, I need to go back into cognitive behavioral therapy. I need to go back into medication. And even when it's not at a fever pitch, I need to be careful. You know, I need to get my eight hours of sleep a night. There's actually really good research showing that lack of sleep and, and, and difficulty sleeping can fuel anxiety. So I make sure to do that. Um, Exercise is, is important, too. You know, basically, all the boring adult things that we all know we're supposed to do. But for anxious people, they're even more critical because the room for error is just really slim.
0: So adulting is the key for anxious people. It huh?
1: is. It really is.
0: We're talking to Andrea Peterson. She is a contributing writer at The Wall Street Journal, where she reports on psychology, health, and neuroscience. She is the recipient of a Rosalind Carter, Rosalind Carter, I know that. This is Georgia, Uh fellowship for mental health journalism she makes her home in Brooklyn with her husband and her daughter who is eight I think you said now her book is on edge a journey through anxiety what impact if any did and you mentioned a little bit about this earlier uh, your anxiety have on your relationships
1: it's interesting You know, the research shows that anxiety stresses relationships and stressful relationships can also fuel anxiety. And I've definitely seen that. I've had um, a a couple boyfriends who really had a hard time with my anxiety, honestly, because there is, you know, anxiety can be, you know, like any emotion, anxiety can be catching. And actually being around an anxious person can make some other people feel anxious, too. But at the same time, so actually, when I met my husband, I decided, you know, because I'd had this relationship with someone who couldn't really handle my anxiety, and I so I decided, okay, no later than the second date, I'm going to tell you know, anyone I'm meeting about my anxiety issues and make sure they can handle it. And so I told my husband when I met you know, on our second date, and he was actually totally fine with it. And um, and so that's and also in some ways, I feel like anxiety is actually uh, deep in my relationships, in that it's made me. Be vulnerable and ask for help, and it has also given me a point of connection with other people in pain. And I think it's it's actually helped me be a more empathetic person. So it's not all gloom and doom with anxiety. I mean, there there, there really are some upsides.
0: You have a daughter. Did you have any anxiety flare ups during the pregnancy? And do you ever worry that perhaps, or is there any research? I guess that says that the disorder is um, hereditary.
1: Yes, there is a genetic component to anxiety. Really, if you have a parent or sibling or child that has an anxiety disorder, your risk is actually five times that of the general population. So there, there definitely is a genetic component, and it's something I do. I am very mindful of, and I I try not to, you know, think about that or or think about that too much uh, when it's when I'm when I'm with my daughter. But it's something that I'm definitely mindful of, and I know that if I if I see. Inclinations that you know, if I see that she is is having some issues, I'm I'm definitely going to you know make sure that she that it, that it's addressed right away.
0: So, did you do any family research history to see where perhaps in in your family your anxiety might have have come from?
1: I did, I did. What you and find? Actually, well, my my father struggles with depression. I mean, I see it all kind of all over. Even on my mother's side, um, I have a couple of cousins that have panic attacks. But my father's side, you know, my, I always I grew up knowing about my grandmother. My grandmother actually spent three years in a psychiatric facility in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and I knew that she heard voices. I knew that she actually at one point she was so plagued by paranoia that she actually um, tried to burn the house down with her family in it uh, in this belief that somehow it would that would be better than having someone else hurt them. And so that's when actually she was she was and she had electroshock therapy and and so, um, you know, it's, it's hard to know exactly what her diagnosis was. She It was in her – I have her medical records Yeah, but you just didn't know that much back then. They didn't. And schizophrenia, which is what she was diagnosed with, was a sort of a catch-all diagnosis. So I did, so I did have that. Um, so I knew I had this um, – and I have a, an aunt who has bipolar disorder. So there's definitely um, mental health issues that that are, are in my family that I did kind of look back into. What is
0: it that you're hoping readers are going to take away from On Edge?
1: Well, I hope, first of all, that to – to tell people that you know to to you know make make explain that this is not a moral failing, anxiety is not a, not a moral failing. It is an illness, just like any other illness. It's very treatable, and I want to just provide insight and support and um, to people who struggle with anxiety, and also to explain the disorder for people who for people who don't, but who have loved ones who do. It's probably
0: fair to say that there are s- many people today I, because of. You're a journalist. I'm a journalist. Our news cycle—we always joked about and talk about the 24-hour news cycle—and mm-hmm. and since January, it seems that that 24-hour news cycle with cable television and everything else continues to shrink to where this is the story this hour, this is the story the next hour, causing a fair amount of anxiety right. in America's newsrooms, and I would think a fair amount of anxiety now amongst our news consumers. Is
1: that a fair assessment? I mean, I, we are bombarded with information, and also one of the thing the the issues with anxiety is a lot of people who struggle with anxiety have um, an intolerance of uncertainty. And I think no matter where you sort of are on the political spectrum, we can all sort of agree that this is a particularly uncertain time. So I think, yes, this is this definitely you know the the overwhelming amount of information, um, and you know just. So what do we do we do we stop reading we stop watching
0: tv you stop what do you how, i mean you know
1: how, it's it, i think it's it's different for every person in terms of how they handle it but i think for me i find that anything that can ground me in the present moment is really helpful because yeah. anxiety is a future oriented state mm-hmm. you know the, the definition that i really um that really resonates with me is that anxiety is anticipation of pain and so anything that grounds you in the present moment is actually sort of an antidote to this future oriented worry so you know for some people it's taking a walk in a park for others it might be listening to music i actually love to bake i find that something incredibly soothing and and grounding that it that it really it helps and yet you stay so thin this is wonderful <laughs> well i try not to eat all of it i try to you know bake and give thing. it away right bake and give it away um, you know yoga i find really helpful too so so i really do think that that sort of uh, you know trying to trying to do something to to stay in the here and now is a really great um, solve to the kind of chaos that often seems to be engulfing us around.
0: The book's been out for a bit. What kind of feedback have you been getting from your readers?
1: You know, people really want to tell their own story, too. And that's been really wonderful as I've gone around the country talking about this or as I get emails um, either via my website or through or, or people tweet at me is is to say, you know, I feel heard this is what my experience is, I'm going to talk about it too to help erode a little bit more of that stigma.
0: The book is called On Edge, A Journey Through Anxiety. The author is Andrea Peterson. How do we connect with you? Tell us about your website, your social platform. Where do we get you?
1: Sure. My website is byandreapeterson.com, and that's Peterson, P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N, and, um, or you can get me on Twitter at, at Andrea A. Peterson.
0: Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me.
1: Perspectives
0: is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, condo 29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective.